DiscerningHearts.com presents Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. Mike Aquilina is a popular author working in the area of church history, especially patristics, the study of the early church fathers. He is executive vice president and trustee of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, a Roman Catholic research center based in Steubenville, Ohio. He is a contributing editor of Angelus Magazine and general editor of the Reclaiming Catholic History series from Ave Maria Press. He's the author or editor of more than 50 books, Villains of the Early Church, the book on which this series is based. He has hosted 11 television series on the Eternal Word Television Network and is a frequent guest commentator on Catholic Radio. Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me back, Chris. Oh, you talk about villains. We've had some biggies, but is there anybody quite like Nero? You know, in all of history, there's no one quite like Nero. Uh, And I have to make a confession from the start here that when we were doing the audio version of this book, Villains of the Early Church, you know, we're recording it in the studio. And during my Nero chapter, I laughed so hard that we had to take another day to record the book because I just couldn't stop laughing. Now, during the time of Nero, if you were alive during his lifetime, nobody was laughing because here was a man who was crazy. Mm-hmm. And yet he held literally <laughs> all the power in the world. He was the emperor of the known world or the greatest part of it. And he was willing to wield his power to serve his whims. He initiated the first great persecution of the church And it was that persecution that would become the precedent, the legal precedent, and the model for all of the later persecutions. Wow. You know, there's an adage that I'm sure you've heard that saints make saints. But there is also a truth that sometimes, unfortunately, craziness creates craziness. Woundedness (laughs) creates woundedness. And Nero is a product of a family dynasty that just, oh, my God goodness. Yes. Oh, you know, uh, you know, the whenever you have that much power concentrated into one man, one person, uh, this is the way it's going to be. Very few of the Roman emperors had the luxury of dying in their beds at home. You know, many of them were killed by the people closest to them. They were assassinated by family members who wanted to gain the throne for other family members. They were assassinated by the guards who were closest to them who got bought off by rival claimants for the throne. So Nero grew up in that kind of family. It's quite likely that his mother was involved in the assassination of Nero's predecessor, his uncle. You know, and then after that, he was involved in many other murders. He murdered his pregnant wife. Mm. He himself carried off that one. He murdered his mother. He was just such a An awful figure. But yes, you could see how he was the inevitable product of the institution of the empire and the the office of the emperor as it was established in Rome. It is fascinating that this is the country that only just a few generations before was one heralded as the Great Republic. 
who oh, yeah. where it was a form of a type of democracy at least where the people seemed to have some kind of a voice but it didn't take very long a just generation or so and boy that disappeared it did and uh and even at the beginnings of the empire augustus was really the first emperor though he didn't like to be called emperor he wanted to be called first citizen so that you still had that appearance of a, a kind of democracy there the the romans uh, like to see themselves as the heirs of the ancient Greeks and heirs to all that glory and all that culture. So, yeah, that's the way it was. But by the time of Nero, which is not that long afterwards, as you point out, you know, we're just talking about half a century after the, the death of Augustus, we see a lot of that pretense stripped away. And it really is all about the naked exercise of power. Nero is a special case, though, even among Roman emperors. You know, a lot of them were sick tickets. And their sexual practices, for example, were what anyone today would look at as wicked and, and immoral. You know, even the, the most progressive thinkers, so-called progressive thinkers on sexual matters would look at Nero and say, that man is sick because of the things that he did, the way he victimized so many people because of his warped desires. But Nero was a strange and childish, petulant emperor. He loved show business, and he loved the theater. He himself liked to act in the shows and to be the hero in various dramas and comedies. And he was even willing to make himself the buffoon in some comedies just so that he would get all the attention, get everybody laughing at him. He wanted stardom. And so he wrote poems and he wrote songs and he performed them publicly. And he himself competed in all of the great competitions, the literary competitions of his day. And of course he won them all because who was gonna vote for someone other than the emperor? So Nero was a very strange man and the aristocrats, the upper classes of his time, considered him an embarrassment. Mm. Well, he, and he had a populist following, didn't he? I mean, he gave yeah. the people what they wanted. Oh, yeah, because for Nero, it was all about show business. It was all about entertainment. It was all about the party. And what he did was he made Every day like a party, free stuff for everybody. And it, it just felt like the world was turned upside down. Every year, the Romans celebrated this feast, Saturnalia, where the slaves became the masters and the masters became the slaves. And everything was turned topsy-turvy. Well, during the reign of Nero, which is a fairly long reign, you got that sense that the world was turned upside down and all of the values were inverted. Now, a lot of the lower classes loved him for this because of this ongoing feeling that they were in the midst of a, of a big party, that they were finally getting to share in the movable feast that was the life of the upper classes. So yeah, Nero did have a popular following. He did seem to have the, the sympathy of a lot of the lower classes. The upper classes, not so much, because they considered him, again, an embarrassment. An upper class person might take up a musical instrument, but probably would, would not play it publicly. Definitely would not perform before the rabble. Now, I don't want to jump to the end of the story, but I think it helps to put this in context when we talk about him. He would die at the age of 30. So all of the stuff that he was doing, he was doing, this is a 20-some-year-old. 
And of course, it's 20-something men something different back then because life expectancy was fairly young. You know, most people were expected not to live long beyond 35 Mm. because of natural causes. There was no way to fight the diseases that were out there. But yeah, Nero did die young and he died at the hands of of usurpers and he brought his own dynasty, you know, the dynasty of the Caesars to a rather ignoble end. But yeah, there was a certain degree of immaturity there. But it was amazing immaturity, even for a young man. He was still acting like a spoiled child and just grasping for whatever he wanted at the moment. Would you say he was a master manipulator as well, in the sense that just the persecution of the Christians had to have been something where he just didn't say it's their fault? I mean, he manipulated the, the people to turn on them, didn't he? Yes, and we have the witness of, 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 of pagan writers who were alive at this time. They didn't like Nero either, and they portray him in an unflattering way. And so the historical record is not kind to Nero, and what they say about that time is especially unflattering. If you believe the, the Roman pagan historians, well, what happened was that Nero wanted to build himself a grand and glorious palace. You know, the problem was that he needed ample real estate for that. So suddenly there's this great fire in Rome that wiped out entire working class areas of the city. You know, this is a a kind of suspicious event. And there's a lot of murmuring going on in the city because people suspected that Nero was behind it all. What's the, the tradition we have that Nero fiddled while Rome burned? And the basis of that was this testimony from witnesses that Nero recited his poems and accompanied himself on the lyre while Rome burned. You know, he wrote poems about this. He wrote songs about it. That's kind of uh, not what an emperor should be doing in a moment of crisis, in a citywide emergency. So, you know, the people are murmuring about this and Emperors always get uneasy when the people are murmuring, so he had to find a scapegoat. And yeah, here's, you know, just as you say, the master manipulator at work. He takes this unpopular faction within his city, the Christians, these people who follow a foreign religion, an Eastern religion, and observe this strict morality and always think they're better than you people, right? You know, that's the way he presents it, and he makes them into criminals. Now, he realizes he doesn't have the evidence to convict them of conspiracy or arson, so he convicts them of something called hatred of humanity, because they hated the things that the Romans considered to be normal in human beings. What were those things? Well, adultery, fornication, you know, murder, all of these things, abortion, infanticide, all of the things that the Romans considered part of a normal life, the Christians were eager to condemn. And so Nero condemns the Christians of hatred of humanity, hatred of what is human, and he rounds them up. He tortures some of them till they're so crazy they'll confess to anything, and then he, he rounds up the rest of them, and he puts them to death in a spectacular way. He makes their death into this grand and glorious entertainment in his gardens, and he invites all the people to the party of watching these Christians die. 
We'll return to the villains of the early church and how they made us better Christians with Mike Aquilina in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. From a letter from St. Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 6. Be strengthened in the Lord in the might of his power. Put on the armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness on high. Therefore, take up the armor of God so that you may be able to resist the evil every day and stand in all things perfect. Stand, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of justice and having your feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace, in all things taking up the shield of faith, with which you may be able to quench all fiery darts of the most wicked one. And take for yourself the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God. With all prayer and supplication, pray at all times in the Spirit, and be vigilant in all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. The St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology is a nonprofit research and educational institute that promotes life-transforming scripture study in the Catholic tradition. Founded by Dr. Scott Hahn and with current Vice President Mike Aquilina, the center serves clergy and laity, students and scholars with research and study tools from books and publications to multimedia and online programming. The St. Paul Center welcomes you to their free online studies. Whether you're studying scripture for the first time looking to take your studies to a higher level, or whether you're ready for advanced training, you've come to the right place. In addition, for each track of study, they recommend books that will enhance your study and prayer and build your library of essential works in biblical theology and spirituality. The studies are free. Just visit SalvationHistory.com to view a complete library. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, 
and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to The Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. Yeah, I think it will help us to remember, if you don't know, that the Colosseum as we know it in Rome today was not the Colosseum of Nero. It hadn't been built yet. This gardens and this spectacle, it, it was horrific. I mean, yes. the, and how they would hang the Christians even in the streets on, uh, well, and yes. crucify them and burn them. I mean, it was terrible. He hung them on posts and he, he lit them on fire while they were still alive so that they would be kind of torches for his garden party. And then he invited all the people in to see this. Now, imagine that these are common people and poor people, and they're being invited to a party on the private residence of the emperor. You know, this is a big deal. And so he tried to make it grand and glorious entertainment. It's interesting that the historian Tacitus, who was alive at the time, said that it had the opposite effect from what Nero intended, that instead of making the people despise the Christians even more, have contempt for them, it gave them a kind of sympathy because they saw it as just an opportunity to glut one man's cruelty. Mm. And so the Christians actually gained a little bit of sympathy at that moment. So that we have this pagan witness, Tacitus, to this truth that will be later articulated by a Christian writer, Tertullian, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. In that moment of sympathy, I'm sure, was the beginning of many conversions. Mm. Now, am I correct, Mike? He was the emperor at the time of the martyrdoms of Peter and Paul. That's right. They were among the first martyrs of the Church of Rome. They were living in the city at that time. And, of course, you want to go for the leaders first. That was the, the Roman way. And Peter and Paul were the obvious leaders in Rome. They were put to death. Peter, by crucifixion, he was crucified upside down at his own request because he did not think himself worthy to die in the same way as his master had died. And then Paul was beheaded outside the walls of Rome. He was given that special privilege of beheading because he was a Roman citizen. The lesson for us today, again, the, what, the Nero's of the world, it, we can see they're evident everywhere. We have to be very careful. I mean, not to the extent that they have at that type of power, but those who can offer us things to accept behavior that we cannot accept. Oh, yes. We can see that there have been many Neros uh, down through history and uh, even into recent history. People who wielded enormous power over many lives. And, and maybe they started with small cruelties, but they worked themselves up to big cruelties. Uh, you know, and, and of course, the obvious examples are, are Joseph Stalin, uh, Adolf Hitler, Mao Zedong. You know, these people who started off by spouting noble pieties and talking about their, uh, their noble ambitions and then gradually showed themselves to be capable of, of enormous cruelty. And they turned that cruelty upon Christians. They made many martyrs in their time. And this still happens today. 
It still happens all over the world to greater and to lesser degrees. Martyrs are made every day in our own time. It is so interesting, isn't it, Mike, that, you know, as you were speaking, I couldn't help but think of Robespierre, the Mm -hmm. leader of the, one of the major leaders of the French Revolution and the institutor of the, the process of the guillotine that got so crazy and the persecution of the Christians, the church during the French Revolution. And the revolution ended up devouring its own children because he would die being executed. It, it, it doesn't, and just that as the, those that you named before, Nero was the same way. And they end up de- getting devoured by their own insanity. Oh, that's right. And they're certainly on the wrong side of history. They're universally loathed almost as soon as they're dead. And so are their followers. The people who sacrificed so much in order to, to thrive or even just survive under these people, uh, these, these despots. So yeah, this is, this is a pattern in history. Uh, it's funny, the, Nero was seen by the early Christians as almost an apocalyptic figure, that he was an antichrist who was coming to usher in the, the last ages. And even when Nero was dead, the Christians feared that he would return from the dead. This was a, a genuine fear for more than a thousand years. That's how long the memory of Nero remained in the city as vivid as a persecutor of the Christians. He kind of was the prototype of persecution, and Christians were always afraid that he would make his return. Well, in a sense, he has made his return in all of these various despots down through history. They all show themselves to be the kind of impulsive, self-indulgent, whimsical, power-mad despot that Nero was, and they all show themselves to be antichrist, to be the enemy of Christ in the end. Well, there you go. Who's the ultimate enemy of Christ? And who is the one who is going to lie and manipulate and deceive us to choose ourselves and what we want over him? Yes, yes, yes. It's interesting that in the Middle Ages, the Romans tried finally to put an end to this fear by building a church over Nero's tomb in Rome and exercising the ground, so to speak. It's quite likely that, uh, as we see in the book of Revelation, that this is a force in humanity, an inhuman force in humanity, an anti-human, an anti-divine force in humanity that we're going to have to struggle against until the end. Well, you, you know, you mentioned that book, the, the Apocalypse, the book of Revelation. He's there, and he's in a number, isn't he? <laughs> yes, a lot of people think that the number is Nero. And that's quite possible because the numbers in Nero's name add up to 666. So Nero quite possibly could have been the model for that early beast that's mentioned in the, uh, in, in the book of Revelation. That doesn't mean that that's over and done with. Because as I said, I think that Nero is in a sense a type of, um, of a certain beast that we face. And even now, and that a beast we will face all through all through history. You know, I, I think this, uh, again, it's so essential for us to follow in your particular book on, on this issue, Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians. It, I believe it was Cicero, wasn't it, Mike, who said that if you're, um, those who don't know their history are um, destined to remain children forever. And if we don't go back and see 
what seems to creep up over and over and over again and understand it, you know, we could be easily succumbed to that same type of um, manipulation, don't you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, history is good for us, you know, but it it can be... um... Uh, it, it, I don't know that it's productive for us to just tell people that history is good for us. It's like it's like telling them to eat their spinach or eat their asparagus when you know that they hate spinach and hate, hate asparagus. Um, history is good for us, but it's also fascinating and it's also entertaining. A lot of us have to get over our um, – our fear of history that we gained in high school, maybe when our teachers made us memorize a list of dates and memorize a list of names and identify spots on a map. That's not necessarily what's waiting for us in history. What's waiting for us in history is a, is an amazing story, a a tremendous drama and, and a little bit of a comedy as well that will keep us enthralled if we give ourselves to it. And that's what I tried to show in my book, The Villains of the Early Church. There's plenty of drama in the chapter on Nero, but there's also plenty, plenty of comedy. As I said, as I was recording that one for the audiobook, I laughed so hard that we had to schedule another day for recording. Well, I'm glad you made it through this episode. <laughs> Yes, 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 I I made it so far anyway. (laughs) Well, on to our next encounter in our next episode. But in the meantime, thank you so much, Mike. Thanks for having me, Chris. You've been listening to Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com And join us next time for The Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina.